Psalm 19 and verse 7. And 1 Timothy chapter 3. Psalm 19 and 1 Timothy. I remember years ago, Nathan Brynick was still a teenager in the youth group, and he had a friend at school, a good Christian friend, uh, who went to the Methodist church, and so he was asking me, what, do, what does the Methodist church teach? What do Methodists believe? And we had a really good conversation, and the thought that I had then and, and still have is if someone asked you, what does Grace Baptist Church believe? What, what do you teach? Do, do we teach the same thing as is taught in all of these other situations, all these other churches? Or are we different? Where do we agree? Where do we differ? And one of the things that I'm hoping to accomplish with the launch of this new church constitution is for us to lay some, some markers down. And this is where we stand. We're not going to be moved. This, this is Grace Baptist Church. Sometimes people wonder, why do we need a church constitution? Isn't the Bible enough? Well, the Bible is enough. It is enough. What the church constitution does is it helps us legally um, to where if you are challenged about something at work, a, a, a belief system that you have that, that, the, that the, the, the job is uh, challenging you on, you can say, no, this is what I believe, and hand them the statement of faith. This is who we are. This is what we believe. And it, it, this is going to help us in many different areas. But it doesn't do any good if I know it, but you don't. Now, guys, I'm going to need your help through this message a lot because when we go through one of the statements in the Bible that Grace Baptist Church holds to, that's the time for a hearty amen because that's what we're doing. We're establishing who we are as Grace Baptist Church. And I think you're actually going to really enjoy it. So, I'm Lord willing, I'm going to take this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, and we're going to break up this statement of faith, just go through it a little bit at a time, so you can know who we are, what we believe, and now you'll also have this information to be able to teach others. Now, pray for me. I fly to Seattle at 2.13 today. So at the end of the service, Laura and I are going to run out, going to go home, grab the suitcases, and run to the airport. I'm preaching in Mount Vernon, Washington, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and it's going to be a busy time. So pray for that meeting. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to being a help to that church and to the surrounding churches that are coming. So be in prayer for that. Now, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and look at verse 14. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, said, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here's a good statement of faith right here. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Isn't that good? 
Great is the mystery of godliness. So the heartbeat behind this statement of faith is this is what we believe. So go to the statement of faith, page 2. Everyone have it? Who does not have one of the statements of faith? Would you raise your hand? You don't have one. Would you raise your hand? Anyone who does not have it? All right. I want you men to do your own work. I want you to have one that you're looking at. And uh, let's follow along. All right. Statement of faith. The following summarizes the scriptural beliefs of this church and its members. Now, how many of you are members of Grace Baptist Church? All right. This is what you believe. If you don't believe in this, we need to have a conversation. Men, what should you do right there? All right. Can I just tell you something? I'm the worst. If I'm in a meeting, I'm just listening to what's being said, and I forget that the preacher needs my help. Don't forget. I need your help on this. This is, this is our statement of faith. Okay. So what do we believe about the Word of God? We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. That means it came from God. He breathed it out. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible as canonized in its 66 books. The word canon just means measuring rod. And so the churches have always believed in what the Bible is. It wasn't settled at the Council of Nicaea. That was settled for the Catholic churches. All right? But the, the local churches already had the Bible. For hundreds of years, they already had the Bible. Okay? We believe in the inspiration of the Bible as canonized in its 66 books. The Bible does not simply contain, but is, in fact, the Word of God. Here's why that statement is there. Modern, uh, it came from a technical term called neo-orthodoxy, a new orthodoxy. It taught that the Bible contains the Word of God, and it becomes the Word of God where it speaks to you. No, the Bible is the Word of God, and we are to submit to it. All right? It is the only complete and final revelation of God's specific will to men. This statement of faith is not the final revelation of God's will to men. The Bible is. And it's our final authority. The Holy Scriptures, spoken by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are inerrant and preserved by God for the English-speaking people in the authorized King James Bible. Now, will you all look up here at me for a minute? It's very important that you hear this. I had a conversation with a bunch of young men yesterday who don't know this. Okay? They don't know it. They're graduating from Bible college. They don't know this. If you don't know this, it's your fault because I'm about to tell you. All right? So if you're listening, say amen. amen. It says it's the preserved word of God for the, what is it? English-speaking people. That's the statement. That's the statement. Here's the question. Well, what about all the other countries? Are we dealing with the other countries? are we dealing with the English-speaking people in this statement? That's the statement. I'm not trying to be sickening, not trying to be ugly. That's the statement. We can take another setting and deal with multiculturalism and how all languages are not equal, all cultures are not equal, all civilizations are not equal. If, there are, if they're all equal, why do we have to build a wall? Apparently, they think we're better. Right? If the receptor language, the language the Bible, is, someone is attempting to translate the Bible into that language, the receptor language, 
If there aren't enough words in that language to communicate the words of Scripture, the Bible can't be translated into that language. Well, that's not fair. I should be 6'4". I'm sorry their language doesn't have enough words. So what do we do? We teach them a language where the Bible can be, that the Bible can be translated into. That's the only thing you can do. Or you can create a new language and teach it to them. You can do that as well. That's probably less efficient. Amen? So the statement is for the English-speaking people. English is the trade language of the world. Can I say that again? English is the trade language of the world. If you know English, you can do well around the world. And so the Bible has been translated into English, and we believe for the English-speaking people that it's preserved in the King James Version of the Bible. All right. It is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. We believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the verbally and plenarily inspired Word of God. Let me explain that to you. Verbally, that means the words. And this was a conversation I had yesterday. I asked a young man, is the, is the NIV as much the Word of God as the King James Bible? He said, well, yeah. I said, but they say different things. It, 1 John 5, 7, we'll look at it in a minute. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The best verse in the Bible on the Godhead. The best verse, the clearest statement. It's not in there. The clearest statement on believer's baptism. Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? That's John 8, 36. Verse 8, 37. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 37 is gone. It's not in the NIV. It's not there. It's not there. Great is the mystery of godliness. We just read it. God was, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The clearest statement on the deity of Christ in the entire Bible. God was manifest in the flesh. The NIV says he who was manifest in the flesh. How many of you know there's a difference between God and he? Can both of those be the word of God? Can't be. You see, we believe the Bible was inspired verbally. Can I say this in the most simple way? Words matter. Black words matter. Words matter. Words matter. We believe in the verbal inspiration. <laughs> that got Spicer's attention. He's back there. He likes something. <laughs> words matter. We believe in the verbal inspiration of Scripture. So verbal means what? I got to start over. Verbal means what? The words. We believe the words were inspired. Not the ideas. The words. That's, the, that's why that's in there. Plenary. That he is ple- so let's look at the, the, the exact way that it says it. The, we believe the old and, uh, the, that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the verbally and plenarily inspired word of God. Plenarily means all of them. The very words and all of them. Even there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Even that. How about this? Here's a, here's a crazy verse. It's, it's just crazy stuff. Nobody knows it. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You believe that? Not if you have an NIV, you don't. Not there. They took it out. 
So it's really important that you understand that the Bible is inspired and preserved. We have it. We have it. All right. The scriptures are inerrant, no mistakes, infallible, they can't fail, and therefore are the final authority for faith and life. The scriptures shall be interpreted according to their, this is vital, folks, vital, according to their normal, grammatical, historical meaning. Grammar matters. The words matter, and the grammar matters. Why? You have to know who is being addressed. You have to know what the subject of the, of the, the sentence is. You have to know what, what is the direct object of the statement. That's how you understand English. Am I right? Any English teachers here? Is that a good thing to think about? You need to know who's being referred to. What, what's the antecedent to the preposition? Who's being referred to in the sentence? Vital that you know. Vital that you know. That's how you interpret the Bible. The historical, grammatical meaning. It's, so what does the historical have to do with How would the hearer have understood what was being written? See, if a concept has changed in the 21st century from the first century when the New Testament was written, the only way you can understand it is to find out what it meant in the first century. Amen? That's what we mean. That's how you interpret it Histori- by the historical grammatical meaning. And so look at your look at your handout. All issues of interpretation and meaning shall be determined by the pastor. That's why God gave you the pastor. The, let me tell you why this statement in here is so important. Later on, you'll see there are statements that if, if I am no longer your pastor and you call another pastor, that pastor must agree with this statement of faith. Has to. Tom May pointed that out to us. That one of the purposes of the church constitution is to protect the church in the future. And so we're going to agree this is what Grace Baptist Church is. And if God takes me out, my plane crashes on the way to Seattle, that your next pastor must agree with the statement of faith. Has to. That's why it's so important. When you see that the pastor sets, these, sets the doctrines, why? Because that's one of the roles of the pastor in the church. And so if you have any questions about this, you have to talk to myself or one of the deacons, and we'll get that cleared up. All right. Um, then, notice the last sentence there. The King James Version of the Bible shall be the only, or shall be the official and only translation used by the church. Now, let me be very clear about something right here. You don't have to agree with us that the King James Version is the best translation. You don't have to agree with that to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. But if you're going to teach at Grace Baptist Church, that's the only version you can use, and you cannot attempt to correct it in the church. That's who we are. That's who we are. All right? Look at Psalm 19. Isn't this fun? I love this stuff. Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Isn't that a great passage? That's the heartbeat behind the Bible is our soul and only authority. That's where it comes from. I do want you to notice something. Look at verse 10. Moreover, or I'm sorry, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. There are a lot of young preachers today that believe that they will, that their church will grow and they'll have more success if they use a different translation of the Bible. That's what they believe. Well, I can point you to very large churches that use the King James Version of the Bible. The issue is that you preach it, you believe it, and then you go out and you do the work of the Lord and God blesses it. But God's word, if the world walks away from God's word, his word is more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold. If I have to choose between the Bible and success, worldly success, I have to choose the Bible. Because it's not spiritual success if I walk away from the Bible, regardless of what the world says. All right, now, letter B, dispensationalism. How many of you think there's more that I have to say about the Bible? But we're just going through our statement of faith. I challenge you to take the time over the next three weeks to look up every verse in the statement of faith. And you'll see that we have biblical warrant for everything that's here. Because the Bible's our authority, not the statement of faith. All right, letter B, dispensationalism. Now, I'm going to explain that word to you. We believe that the scriptures interpreted in their natural, literal sense reveal divinely determined dispensations or rules of life which define man's responsibilities in successive ages. These dispensations are not ways of salvation, but rather are divinely ordered stewardships by which God directs man according to his purpose. Now, let me stop, and I'll, I'll read that last sentence in a minute. Okay, let me explain to you what dispensationalism means. Very simple statement. If you interpret the Bible literally, that you, you take the words in their grammatical, historical context, if you take the Bible literally, then it teaches you some very specific things. And that is that Jesus Christ is going to return in the air, and that every saved person will be caught out to meet him in the air. And then there will be a time of tribulation on the earth such as never been before. And there are devastating things happen to the planet for seven years. And then the Lord returns to the earth and rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. Now, here's why we believe that. That's what the words say. We are the minority of Christians in the world. Why? Because only a minority of Christians in the world believe what the words say. The term fundamentalist, when you hear the term fundamentalist, that's the primary meaning of it, that you believe the Bible. That you believe the Bible. It's your authority. And so we believe the words, and if you take their wor the, the words in the literal context then you'll understand that God has required different things at different times throughout history. So the first dispensation, or age, the word dispensation means economy or stewardship. It's a way that things are distributed. 
dispensed, dispensation. So originally, Adam was created in innocence. He was created without sin. Amen? That was the dispensation of innocence. And God gave them a requirement. Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was their command. Right? But what did they do? They ate of the fruit. That ended. That ended that dispensation of innocence. They were no longer innocent. They had violated what God had required of them. Their, their gospel was very simple. Had two rules. It was very simple. That brought in to, that brought in the next age, the dispensation of human conscience. Human conscience. You know, Jiminy Cricket theology. Follow your heart, Pinocchio. Follow your heart. Right? Conscience. How did that work out? By Genesis 6, the thoughts of men were only evil continually. The thoughts of the, the imaginations of the hearts of men were only evil continually. That ended that age, you had the flood come in, and after the flood, God gave them some new rules. These new rules, are, this is the dispensation of human government. Human government. If you kill a man by that man's hand, you'll be killed. Human government. That ends, that, that dispensation of human government ends with they built the Tower of Babel. And God said everything that, will, that they can imagine, they can accomplish... And so he had to come down and, and confound their languages. He didn't want them to be in one place. He didn't, he didn't want the Coke song, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Imperfect. No, he wanted to have, all have different languages. Why? Because when you all come together, when you have a global government, it's satanic. So that led to a new dispensation. The dispensation of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And God began working through these men and building up a great nation. And uh, how did that work out? It ended with the children of Israel in Egypt as slaves. And they didn't listen to what God had told them to do. And so now God sends Moses and gives the law. And now you have the dispensation of the law. And they said, we'll do it. We'll keep the law. When they should have said, we can't keep this. This is insane. We can't do this. But they were so arrogant, they said they would keep it. And what did the dispensation of the law end with? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that brought us into the church age. Sometimes it's called the dispensation of grace. I don't like that because I believe salvation has always been of grace. But it is called the church age. And now we now God works through local churches, called out assemblies. The Holy Spirit is sent. He, he indwells us and seals us. And that's the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace ends with no faith in the world. The world is turned away from God. Jesus Christ returns, takes the church out, and that leads to the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, you end up with the millennium. The last age is the kingdom where God rules and reigns with his people for a thousand years on earth. How many of you know that each of those ages, God required something a little different? What does it require for us? Obey the gospel. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. That's what we believe. That's dispensationalism. I just taught you what dispensationalism is. In a nutshell, that is what Grace Baptist Church teaches. And let me just tell you, I preached this, I preached this at several different Bible colleges. The only way that a church or a college can stay right, you have to stay right on very, a very few things. Number one, you have to stay right on the Bible. You have to believe that you have the Word of God. You have to believe it, preach it, memorize it, live it. You have to have the Bible. 
Amen? Number two, you have to know what a church is. If you're going to have a church, you need to know what a church is. Is that fair? Right? So uh, Jim McDermott works on CVT engines. How many of you think it's important that Jim knows what a CVT is? How many of you don't know what a CVT is? Then you probably should not be in charge of that department. Is that fair? So as church members, if we're going to say this is what a church is, then we need to know what a church is. A church is a called-out assembly of born-again, baptized believers meeting voluntarily in a specific location for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission, observing and defending the ordinances, sending out missionaries, and doing all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. That's what a church is. You gotta stay right on the Bible. You gotta stay right on what the church is. And you've gotta stay, and that would be our Baptist distinctives, of course. And then you have to stay right on dispensationalism. If you get off on dispensationalism, then you start believing you can lose your salvation. You start believing that sign gifts are for today. It messes everything up if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. That's what dispensationalism is. Now I want you to notice the last statement of this section. As dispensationalists, we reject the allegorical methods represented by covenant theology and its derivatives. Let me explain that to you. We're not Calvinists. We're not Calvinists. Um, I I was doing a conference. What they like, what Calvinists like to call us are semi-Pelagians. Pelagius believed in a work salvation. And so because we believe that a person actually has to ask Christ to save him, they call us semi-Pelagian. And so, church, let me tell you, young people, this will help you. If someone ever calls you a semi-Pelagian, the technical answer to that is your mom's a semi-Pelagian. That's the answer to that. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. How many of you do not believe in a work salvation? Would you raise your hands? How many of you believe whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? We don't believe in covenant theology. We are not Calvinists. Now, let me explain the allegorical part. I already covered, Heather, will you do something for me this week? Will you replace that so it stays up? Thank you. So the allegorical method of interpretation is where the words don't actually mean what they say, that there's a spiritual meaning behind it. How many of you can see that's the opposite of literal? Okay, so covenant theology, uh, I didn't know. When I heard covenant theology, how many of you would think that it's, you know, the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant? How many of you would think that that's kind of what, has nothing to do with that? It's the covenant of grace and the covenant of works. Where is the covenant of grace in the Bible? Where's the covenant of works in the Bible? It's not there. It's made up. It's not, we reject it. The other thing that they do Probably the best way for you to understand it, close your Bibles and hold them up like this. It'll be difficult if you have a phone. This is going to be the best way for you to understand it. Get about a third of your Bible. I know you didn't know there was going to be math on the test. But get about a third of it. See if you can figure that out. You all got it? Now tear it out and throw it away. That's what the allegorical method of interpretation does. For every one verse about the first coming of Christ, there are 11 about the second coming of Christ. The theme of the Bible, can we look at it? Look at Zechariah chapter 14. The theme of the Bible. 
All right, the Bible says, I'm going to find it here. I, I have my new Bible, and I don't know where it is on the page. So we're going to track it down. Verse 9, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Amen? That's the theme of the Bible. How many of you believe those words? You know when that happens? When Jesus Christ returns to rule and reign for a thousand years on the earth. If you don't believe in a millennium, you don't believe in that verse. That's an example. They don't believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. So every passage that's dealing with the nation of Israel and the coming earthly kingdom, they're going to take that and apply it to the church. Vital, listen, this is so important. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. So all of the promises to Israel that God has made, they believe that when, they, when, the, when Israel said, let it be on our heads and on our children's heads, crucify him, they believe that all the promises then shifted from Israel to the church and that God is done with Israel. Now notice what the Bible says in verse 8, Revelation chapter 2. And verse 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the wonder. I know the grace. I know the blessedness. Is that the word, is that the word that's in your Bible? What does it say? Blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, how many of you think that's a compliment? You see, all of these Reformed theology, covenant theology people that teach that the church replaced Israel, they're saying all those promises for the Jews now apply to the church. They're saying we are, listen, spiritual Israel. That's what they say. What does Jesus call that? Blasphemy? And that system is the synagogue of Satan? And we will not have it at Grace Baptist Church. And here's how you keep from having that. Don't practice the allegorical method of Scripture interpretation. Interpret the Bible literally in its historical grammatical context. If you take it literally, you understand it literally, you believe it literally, you'll be a dispensationalist. You'll stay right. What does a church have to do to stay right? They have to have a Bible. They have to know what a church is. And they have to rightly divide the word of truth. You stay right on those things, you're going to stay right. That's why we have this statement of faith. We reject, we reject the allegorical method of interpretation used by Reformed theology, covenant theology, and all of its derivatives. We are not Calvinists. And if I die, and you call Calvinist pastor, I will haunt this place. <laughs> the Godhead. What do we believe about the Godhead? We believe... That there is only one living and true God existing eternally in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. And they're one. I love this. They are equal in eternally divine perfection. So here's where this type of thing is important. Jesus Christ, the Son, did not begin at Bethlehem. Eternal. The Holy Spirit did not begin when he came at Pentecost. Jesus didn't change when he came at Bethlehem. 
The Holy Spirit did not change when he came at Pentecost. Are you all with me? So, let's read the statement. We believe that there is only one living and true God existing eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are equal in eternally divine perfection while performing distinct but harmonious functions in the great work of redemption and perfection. God is the absolute and sole creator of the universe and due to his inexpressible glory, power, and holiness is worthy of all possible honor, praise, confidence, worship, loyalty, and love. Amen? Now, I want to make a change on this. So if you look at the last line of verses, it says 1 John 5, 17. That's supposed to say 1 John 5, 7. Laura, will you help me to remember to change that in the original? So why don't we look at 1 John 5, 7. I've only quoted it four times today, but let's look at it. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Isn't that a tremendous verse? Modern translations of the Bible remove that. If you look, if you have a study Bible and you have a footnote, it'll say that this is only found in some late manuscripts, or this is not found in the best manuscripts. Well, the best manuscripts, according to uh, some of those that want to change the Bible, are from about 400 A.D., 400 A.D. Now, That means in the year of our Lord, that means, you know, 400 years after Christ, all right? How many of you know that 200 A.D. came before 400 A.D.? Some more math stuff. How many of you recognize what I'm saying? Tertullian, one of what is called the church fathers, quotes this verse. He cites this verse in his writings in 200 A.D. So these guys, can I just tell you something? The people that want to change your Bible... I don't know how to say it any other way than this. They are either liars or have believed a lie. They are either liars themselves or they have believed a lie. Because they'll tell you their system is, we believe that the oldest is best. That the closer you can get to the original writings, the more accurate they are going to be. That's How many of you know that's what they believe? All right, so let me ask you this. What's closer to 100? What's closer to 100? 200 or 400? What's closer? You guys are doing good. You're doing good. So when someone tells you it's not supposed to be in your Bible, just liar, liar, pants on fire. It's in your Bible. And it's interesting that the, that the clearest verse, I said to this young man yesterday, who thinks that there's no big changes in the Bible. You say, that sounds mocking. It's because it's so stupid, I don't know how else to talk about it. The, is this a coincidence? Have you noticed that all of the FBI leaks go in one direction? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed all the leaks of the Department of Justice all go in one direction? Then it's not a coincidence, right? How is it that all the changes in the Bible go against the deity of Christ, the Godhead Trinity, believers' baptism? They all go against it. The best passage on the Godhead, 1 John 5, 7, it's gone. The best passage on the deity of Christ, 1 Timothy 3.16, changed. The best passage on believer's baptism, Acts 8.37, it's gone. Well, someone was trying to, you know, uh, put their theological position, and so that was added to the text. Oh, really? Because the world was overrun with people teaching believer's baptism in 300 A.D. 
The world was just overrun with people emphasizing the Godhead. If you know anything about church history, you know that that's completely false. The reason they had to take it out is because it violated what the cults want to do. All right, let's keep going. I, I, I know I sound mad. I just get mad when people change the Bible. Amen? All right, so the Godhead. Now let's look at the person and work of Christ. The person and work of Christ. Number one, we believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, that just means he's God. Deity means God. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the eternal Son of God. He didn't become the Son. He is the Son. He's the only begotten Son. Again, young man, yesterday I said, why is only begotten taken out of the Bibles? Well, it's not in the Greek. I said, what? Monogenous? The Greek? It's not in the Greek? What Greek are you looking at? Insane. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Look at becoming man without ceasing to be God, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful men. Isn't that a good statement? Number two, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption through the shedding of his blood and his death on the cross as a representative vicarious. Now, vicarious, that means in our place, substitutionary. All right? Substitutionary explains vicarious. Sacrifice. And that our justification, that's where God declares us righteous in a legal, de- a legal decree, and that our justification is made sure by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead. Understand that there are modern writers, books like The Shack and other things like that, that believe in a spiritual resurrection of Christ, that he's back spiritually. No, he, he visibly, bodily rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's vital that we understand the bodily resurrection of Christ. Number three, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, whereas our high priest, he fulfills the ministry of representative, intercessor, and advocate. Jesus isn't done with his work. We're going to stop there for this morning. Let's all stand. We did not get into the subject of salvation that is coming. But the heartbeat behind everything that we do is to bring glory to God and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if you will believe that and receive him, he will save you. Amen? That's the heartbeat behind everything we do. But here's the problem. If you move away from a literal understanding of the scriptures, the Bible says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you lose the Bible, you lose salvation. Let me say it again. If you lose the Bible, you lose salvation. If we are going to maintain a New Testament church, we have to have a Bible rightly divided and proclaimed, believed, defended, preached, loved so that we have a message for the world. That has to be where we are. And that message is for you today. Are you born again?
Are you saved? Are your children born again? Make sure, make sure there's no important decision, no more important decision that you will make than to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen?